Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. And this is how I fight my battles. Sing a little louder. This is how I fight my battles. Sing a little louder. This is how I fight my battles. Sing a little louder. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I find my battles. Sing a little louder. This is how I find my battles. Sing a little louder. This is how I find my battles. Sing a little louder. This is how I find my battles. Sing a little louder. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by. Again, welcome for everyone joining us. You can find the lyrics. We have a sheet for you to grab uh, by the front desk, or you can follow along at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. Let's continue.
hearts awake to life. We are satisfied here with you, here with you. Chains will hit the floor, broken lies restored. We couldn't ask for more here with you, here with you. Hands are lifted high, hearts awake to life. We are satisfied. some announcements. Good morning. My name is Mark Klebsig. I want to welcome you here this morning, uh, whether you're online or here with us, uh, braving the cold, as cold as it gets in Southern California. Um, just really want to welcome you here today. Um, if you are our guest this morning, we do have a free gift for you. It's a book that says that it's the case for Christmas. So please grab one of those on the guest resource table uh, on your way out. Um, you can find, as Hovi mentioned, the song lyrics, but also the uh, sermon listening guide, as well as our connection card online at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Uh, we also have some paper copies of those for those of you here at a table here to my left. Uh, along with um, some kids' coloring books and uh, crayons um, and the offering um, envelopes, there's a bucket uh, where you can place your offering on the way out, uh, as well as giving online. Uh, we really do appreciate the generosity of this congregation, and um, it's, it's very, well, uh, very well appreciated. Um, I do want to mention uh, we have a Christmas offering, uh, so that's made up of gifts above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings, um, and it's, we put together this every year, and we want to support um, ministries both locally here in Southern California area, uh, on nationally and internationally, and um, it's going on through the end of January. If you'd like to contribute, please designate that online, or if you're writing a check, uh, write Christmas offering on the check when you deposit that. Uh, there's a flyer on the table as well that you can learn more about all the different um, ministries that we're supporting. And um, so far, we've been able to raise 6025 It's towards our goal of 18000 this year. So, again, really appreciate the generosity. So, once again, we're glad that you're here with us. We have one more song uh, before Rick Durst comes and gives us a message this morning. So let's continue to worship. Thanks, Mark. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy. My righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. In this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing all is mine, if not I. Through Christ in me.
start, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, He will been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Welcome up, Pastor Rick. Right behind you, sorry. Well, let me say Happy New Year to you. It's good to be worshiping with you here at Church in the Valley, um, in person or online. It's, it's great. Uh, to start a new year, to say goodbye to a year I'm ready to say goodbye to you and, you know, start with the new year. Don't know what it's going to hold for you or for me, but I know who holds it. The Lord holds it. And that's why we've gathered here to worship. You're getting your year off to a great start already by worshiping together. Uh, God pays attention to that. Uh, I'd like us to uh, just pray real quick and then I'll launch into this message uh, from the book of Hebrews. Lord, I, I bring what I've prepared and I ask you to receive it, 
to break it, to bless it, and multiply it. Uh, so that you may show that you are, there's none like you. You're holy, you're loving, you're eternal, you're everlasting, you're covenant-making, covenant-keeping. Bless us, Lord, for we've come to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have access to a New Testament, if you could open to Hebrews chapter 13, we'll get there in, in just a moment. Um, you know, as, as a professor, uh, one of the habits I have, I'm not sure, you decide if it's a good habit or a bad habit. Um, I can prescribe medicine, but I do prescribe books. So it's my intention in this message to mention four books. So you test me and see if I get to all four. Now, I'd like to get halfway through right now because uh, it ties up with this series. Um, it's a startup series. So we're starting up 2021, and I've got four messages lined up here. I'll talk about the other ones a little bit later. Uh, but this one is about the philosophy of life uh, with which you're going to take up 2021. Now, the tendency is to do what you've always done. Stay in the, the same rut, so to speak. Uh, might not be bad to be in that rut, but um, what I want to do in this time is look with you at about how shall we approach this year in a way that has God's guidance and God's blessing. Uh, so, this, uh, the title of my message is Seek a Better Country. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 13. Seek a Better Country. Now, that's loaded uh, uh, for us uh, as we think of the election we just came through, but hang with me because we want to look at a biblical perspective of this. Um, but shortly after World War II, a really important book was published called Man's Search for Meaning. So that's book number one by Viktor Frankl. And you know, the people I really like listening to are the men and women who have the scars of having gone through some great trouble. And Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. Uh, I can't recall the concentration camp that he was in. He's Jewish um, and a psychiatrist. And as he's going through this experience uh, in the concentration camp, he begins to, to speculate, to maybe even prophesy which people are going to survive and which people are not going to survive. Now, we're going through a rough time right now. Um, and some of you have lost some people. Um, and it's a tough thing when two weeks ago you could call them up, but today you can't call them anymore. Uh, and that was his experience every day, many times. And he decided, as he's postulating here, is it's impossible to go through life without a sense of meaning. That to survive and thrive, you've got to find meaning. Men and women have to find meaning. And that's why the title of the book, The Search for Meaning. Because in the concentration camp, you'd have some young, vigorous people come in, and you think, those are going to be the survivors. They got the health. But it didn't always turn out that way, because they were unable to give significant meaning to a life of suffering that they were going through. Whereas on the other side, you would find people who didn't look like they were going to last that long because their health didn't look good, but somehow in the midst of all the suffering, they found a terrific meaning for their lives. And so they survived. They even thrived and came through. Uh, so he writes this book about the importance of you and I finding meaning in our lives. And that's one of the reasons why I just want to say Happy New Year to you because you're here today. And this worship experience we're having is about finding meaning in life, getting meaning from God in life. That's what he brings to us. So man's search for meaning. Good book. If you need something to add to your resolution list, you could add that book. Second book. 
Uh, shortly after, maybe five years after that book was published, a book by a man named Lewis Sherrill came out. And it's called The Struggle for the Soul. The Struggle for the Soul. It's not a long book, but it looks particularly at the book of Hebrews. Because Lewis Sherrill is also thinking about the philosophies of life that people go through. And he concluded that people have sort of three approaches to life. Uh, there's one that's very similar to the, um, you know, the dwarves in Snow White. You know, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work I go. You know, they're, they're kind of a, a, a treadmill existence. And they're very responsible. But there are many times where the most meaning they can get out of life is just being a weekend warrior, living for the weekend. Because they're in a job that is not that meaningful for them. And they don't know how to get out of it and keep their responsibilities. And so there's that. Uh, the second kind is the person who always has a great story. Now, they may not be all that successful in life. But they are the people who are uh, masterful at challenging deadlines, of trying to get away with stuff, to outwit the gods. And he, he was thinking about um, the Iliad and the Odyssey, the Odyssey in particular, and uh, Odysseus's challenge to outwit the gods who were against him from getting home from, Tro from Troy. Um, and there is a lot of risk-taking in life, a lot of challenges in life. And... Uh, sometimes to get meaning, we can uh, just try to get our adrenaline up again. Uh, to take those risks because it's that adrenaline rush, that dopamine fix that makes life tolerable when otherwise it's not. But the third philosophy of life is, is the one I really want to focus on is taking up a journey as a pilgrim. And he, he identifies that for some people, they realize um, this way of being is not always that good. And this country could be better. And so they want a journey to a better country and, and take that journey with the Lord. It's a calling to take up the life of a pilgrim, to grow, go on pilgrimage and grow spiritually. Uh, one of the, uh, you know what? I might mention five books. I just thought about it. One of the most famous books is Pilgrim's Progress, uh, written by a guy in Bedford Jail in England uh, when he was put there because he didn't want to worship um, uh, according to the, uh, I'll say, re religious standards of England at the time. He wanted to be practicing free worship of the living God. Uh, he's, he's, uh, John Bunyan, is, his name is, is, really is a Baptist. And he writes this book about Pilgrim having this terrible burden of sin. He goes through the narrow gate, has the, the burden removed, and then he's on a journey to heaven, to the celestial city. It's a great book. You can add that to your resolution list if you want. Uh, I wasn't planning to mention that. It just kind of came to me. Um, so having said that, I want to fix some scriptures uh, in our minds. Now, I told, I told you that we're going to get to Hebrews chapter 13, but I want to back up to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if Hebrews is not a familiar book for you, it's one of the books of the New Testament. It's a very unique book because um, it's an experience of Jewishness. Um, I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem or been to Williamsburg uh, uh, in, in, in the Bronx and been around a Jewish community, a really orthodox community, where you get, you get bathed in this Old Testament view of uh, being right with God and the calling of Moses and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's all embedded in this 13-page, uh, 13 13-chapter 13 book. And the reason for it is because Rome, the Roman government, when this was written, had finally figured out the difference between a Jew and a Christian, which made it possible to persecute Christians without persecuting Jews. Now, let's suppose you're a Jewish Christian. You know, you've got the Visa card and the MasterCard. You can play the one you want. And so a number of the Jews were saying, okay, maybe we should back away from Jesus, back away from Christianity in order to stay safe and to be comfortable. Because Romans figured out what a Christian is, and they've decided to persecute Christians. And so this is a letter written to them to encourage them not to back away from 
trusting Christ, but step into it even further. To go outside the camp of comfort to suffer where Christ suffered outside the camp. Uh, so this notion of, of moving out of our comfort couch to a calling of suffering is, is what this, this letter is about. So if you jump down to verse uh, 13 of chapter 11, which is kind of the hall of fame of faith. Um, These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. So they realized, I'm not home yet. I've got a new home and I'm headed for that home. And uh, now those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There is a, a subtext from Genesis to the book of Revelation that God is going to make things right. And he's got a place, that, and he calls it the New Jerusalem. You can read in Revelation chapter 20 and 21, when the New Jerusalem comes down. And the experience of that is called Emmanuel, God with us. And that picture of having the New Jerusalem in your mind is awesome, uh, which makes me want to mention the third book, but I'm not ready yet. All right, chapter 13 is where I really want to camp out, outside the camp, so to speak. So in verse um, 12, chapter 13, verse 12, it says this. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate or outside the camp. Now, that's a phrase that comes out of the Old Testament, and it has to do with where the dump is, uh, outside the city where the dump is. Uh, I grew up down in uh, Chula Vista, and when I walked to middle school, I could look across the city uh, down and look across San Diego Bay and I could see Silver Strand where we went to the beach and got in the surf and all that. But the dump for San Diego was out on that strip. And one day the dump caught on fire. It is really hard to put out a, a dump fire. And it burned for days and days. There's a fire in Virginia that I think is like 40 or 50 years old. Because some things when they catch on fire you just can't put it out. Well, uh, in January, my wife and I got to go to Jerusalem, and one of the places that they suppose where Christ is crucified is the edge of a kind of, it's not much of a cliff, but down below it now there's a bus station, but it used to be a dump. And so they would take stuff outside the city of Jerusalem, outside uh, the camp, so to speak, and throw it into the dump down that hill. Um, they just dump it there. And that's kind of the notion of this. It's not, a, it's not a glamorous thing to go outside the camp to suffer. You know, following Christ closely is not always glamorous. You know, you, these guys that show up here so early to put all this together, that's not particularly glamorous. But we are so grateful for them. And the musicians, the same thing. It's not particularly glamorous. Although, you know, Zach let his hair down, looked awesome, and was hitting those bass notes. You know, I, I thought that was pretty glamorous. But um, this calling that is there for us brings enormous meaning. So, um, reading on here. Therefore, also, uh, Jesus also suffered outside the gates so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. God the Son's death for us is to make us holy. That word sanctify means to set you apart for the Lord's use. God likes to use clean vessels, and so he's made a way in Christ for us to have the kind of cleanliness God wants to rejoice in us and to use us. So let us then go outside, uh, go to him. I think that's really important. Go to him, to Jesus, outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. If he is disgraced, we are disgraced. For we do not have an enduring city here. Therefore, we seek the one to come, a better country. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips that confess his name. 
Uh, don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Now, let's rewind for just a minute and go back to these three philosophies from Lewis Sherrill. Um, I finally went back on YouTube and listened to what those guys are singing, those, those uh, dwarves, as, as they're going off to mining uh, while Snow White's taking care of their house. I thought it was I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. It's actually hi-ho, hi-ho. Um, they're happy about their work. And it's a wonderful thing to be happy at your work. Um, but it can also be difficult. Now, I, no one ever said this to me, but I understand um, at boot camp uh, in the Army, I uh, don't know about the Marines or any other boot camp, but in the Army, they would tell the soldiers, listen, choose your rut carefully because you're going to be in it a long time. You know, they're marching, 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 you're going to march in that rut. Um, you know, I have some people I'm really close to in my life who um, I'm not sure they chose their rut so carefully and they've been in it a very long time. And it's been a long time since they had any meaning in that rut. And the problem with that is I don't think you can stand life all that long without a source of meaning in what you're doing. Uh, so um, I'm concerned for them. And it's very, uh, maybe we're on television here, I don't know. <laughs> Can you still hear me? No. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> All right, there we go. You know, uh, if, um, do you remember when Jesus was tempted? Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 4 if you want to do some reading about this. And he had, after he had been baptized and the Father said, this is my beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit had taken him out, out in the wilderness, and he'd been fasting for 40 days and night, and now he was super hungry, and so that's when the, the devil comes to tempt him. And it so happened that Jesus was in a place where there were a lot of stones that are shaped like bread. Now, I like bread. I like bread better than dessert. And so I'm very interested in these stones that look so much like bread. And, and the devil says to him, uh, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus answers back, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think sometimes when we are in that rut, we're doing our very best to turn stones into bread. You know, to put bread on the table, so to speak. But as you and I roll into 2021, let's remember to hear God's word. Because as we hear and read God's word, like we're doing here this morning, reading it ourselves, as we hear God's word, something magnificent and wonderful happens even that bread that gets on the table is like manna from God that we can thank him for. It brings meaning into our lives, even while we're having to live in the routine in order to be faithful. Now, I did my dissertation on the man who coined the phrase workaholic. And um, there's a lot of promise and payoff in workaholism in the American culture. You know, I don't know if it's true right now, but it used to be Americans actually worked more hours in the year than any other people on the planet. And I think that there is a theme of workaholism. The problem with workaholism is it hollows you out. Life becomes empty. Because to work without ever taking a rest, without ever getting perspective, that amount of work hollows you out. But do you remember how the Lord's Prayer starts, Hallowed be thy name? If we will hear God's word, he will hallow us on the inside so we'll never be empty, we'll be full 
will have meaning. Now let's turn for a minute to that second philosophy of life. Uh, to outwit uh, the fate. To outwit the odds. Uh, to gamble. Uh, and, and to succeed or to fail. It's very interesting. If this is your approach to life, you don't always have to win. You just have to have a good story. Do, do you know some people who always have the best story? I mean, if you tell a story, they got a better one. Um, and they're kind of fun to be around because they do have a pretty good story, but after a while you realize it's all about them. Now, I, I'll admit to you, I, I love a good deadline. I remember sitting in college and this, um, this friend of mine, who she sat in front of me and I, I'd never been in a class with her before. Uh, she lived down the street from us and she was a really faithful person. She planned to be a public school teacher and she actually did become that. And we're sitting in this class and she turns around to me and she goes, Rick, I've, I've written my paper. I'm going to turn it in. Now the paper was not due until five o'clock. And she was proud that she had gotten it done early. And I'm thinking in my head, I didn't ever tell this. I'm confessing it to you, but I didn't ever tell her. I hadn't even started my paper yet. And I laughed too, inwardly. And I got it done. I got it turned in. It was on time. Got a great grade. Um, but that's how I was living my life. Uh, I'm the guy that outraced um, the FedEx truck to the headquarters so I could get my package in in time to get it mailed. You ever done that? That kind of stuff? Uh, that was my bread and butter. Now, Odysseus, he is at the Trojan War, and according to this Homerian, uh, uh, epic by Homer, um, he wants to get home to his wife. Uh, leave Troy and get home. And he's got a long journey to make. It actually takes him 10 years to do it because the gods are against him. The odds are against him. You know, he's got to battle a cyclops. He's got to uh, battle those closing cliffs of Caribbean. He's got to get past the sirens. And it's a terrific story, this epic of Homer about Odysseus and his odyssey. Um, and it's easy for us to kind of lapse into just telling the story good, uh, spinning it right so that people will give us our attention, so that we'll have a, self, a sense of self-importance by uh, storytelling, if I can say it that way. Uh, if we go back to Matthew 4, Jesus again is tempted and uh, the, the devil sort of puts him on the pinnacle of the temple, which is that corner piece. Uh, the temple in Jerusalem is way up on a hill, and it's a way high wall. And so you're up there kind of on the top of the wailing wall. And the, the devil says, okay, you quoted me scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. Well, I'll quote you a scripture. And it says, cast yourself down, for the angels will lift you up so you won't even dash your foot against the stone. So Jesus is tempted to defy natural consequences. Um, you know, one day I was complaining to the Lord that uh, I was so tired. I was just really tired. And, I, you know, I didn't hear this verbally, but this, this thing came back in my head. Well, why don't you, co why don't you try going to bed earlier? The Lord was not impressed with my tiredness because it was the tiredness I deserved because I was neglecting myself. I wasn't managing and using a level of discipline. And my exhaustion was just my just desserts, you know? And just because I'm a follower of Jesus doesn't mean I escape natural consequences. It's not a get out of trouble free card, especially if I got myself into that trouble. Um, and... So Jesus overcomes that temptation and says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. But the person who's living this kind of Odysseus way of life is always doing that very thing, tempting God, putting God on the spot. Uh, and that's, that's not a meaningful way of life. It's really substituting made-up stories 
for the gospel story. I want to escape punishment. I want to escape trouble. Rather than what the passage says, if we really seek a better country, then we'll have to go outside of that camp and suffer with Jesus. Go to him and be that way. Um, in, the, uh, in the year 410, something unbelievable happened in the Western world. Rome, the eternal city, was sacked. Um, it was overcome, overpowered. The city, this is a city that every day, one million gallons of fresh water came in. It was an incredibly engineered city, but it had been conquered by the Huns and sacked. Uh, that just meant everybody's mind had to be reset. How could things go so wrong? Um, and so they began to say, well, you know what? 75 years earlier, the Roman emperor left the Roman gods and became a Christian, Constantine. And since then, many people had left the ancient gods of Rome in order to follow Christ. It must be their fault. And so the charge was that um, we've deserted our gods in order to follow this god. Well, the word of that criticism, that argument against Christianity, came across the Mediterranean to a little town called Hippo in North Africa. And in this one-horse town, uh, there was a pastor by the name of Augustine. And when he heard that, he had been in Rome. He had taught in Rome. Uh, he's a professor of um, rhetoric. He had taught in Milan. He had had the emperor in his audience when he was giving speeches. So he knew Rome. He knew the Romans. He knew the, you know, all the things and their philosophies and so forth. And so he sat down to write a book called, here's your third book, The City of God. Um, it's still in print. Uh, I have not been in a bookstore on the, anywhere in the world where there wasn't a copy of The City of God available. There's other book that's available. This doesn't count. The Confessions. Uh, but in The City of God, he shows how Rome was not the city of God. You know, sometimes we think that we've made such achievement that this is the greatest city in the world and everybody wants to move to L.A. or everybody wants to move to San Francisco um, or get to Silicon Valley. You know, it's, it's, it's just the city of God. And in his book, The City of God, he says, there's the city of men and women and there's the city of God. And they may cross, but it's not the same. That God is creating a city in Christ. Um, this new Jerusalem. And so he causes people to rethink and seek the better city, to seek the better country. It's not God's fault Rome fell. It's Rome's fault. Rome did not live up to its own ethics. It failed itself. And then he calls them not to fail God, but to seek the Lord. So being mindful that no matter how much we might be enjoying our success uh, in this city. This is not God's city. God's city is coming. Seek the better city uh, so that you'll find greater life. Now, you know, to do that, you're going to have to lay aside every weight and sin. I'm going back to Romans, uh, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12 when it talks about Christianity as a race. So if we're going to run the race, we're going to have to lay aside anything that's holding us back. And so in, in my wake, in, in your wake, where I've been, you should be able to see things I've set aside that were tripping me up and holding me back from what God wants me to do. I also need to be able to hear the crowd that's cheering. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Those that have gone on before us to the city, to the better country, they're cheering for us. They're waiting for us. Now, there is a... A wisdom in the marathon, at least at the Olympic level marathon. And a lot of people drop back. Is anybody a marathon runner? 
you know, I've never done this. Uh, I, I'm not a marathon runner. I'm never going to be a marathon runner. But I wonder how many people started but just didn't finish. And, you know, I, I, I bet they never share that. It must be really hard to do that. But here's the thing. They say that in the marathon, if you can get near enough in the race to hear the crowd cheering from the stadium, nobody ever drops out. And I think that's what this is talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, that you and I need to be tuned in to heaven enough that we can hear the voice. We can hear that witness to keep us going in the race, no matter the trouble, um, dropping those things. And then, of course, the real focus of it in, in Hebrews 12 is looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking to Jesus, crying out to him, seeking his face, worshiping together like we're doing now. Uh, faithful pilgrims have to be willing to desert um, their comfort in order to go out the camp. Uh, another book. David Platt, about 10 years ago, wrote a book called Radical. And what it's about is the American dream. Um, and in the gist of it, he says, the American dream becomes a nightmare when we substitute its comfort from, for our calling to follow Christ outside the, the camp. That our lives should be characterized, will be full of meaning, overflowing with meaning. If there are instances where we made choices, where we're doing journeys, where we're doing giving um, uh, in order to carry out the mission of Christ. I am so grateful for whoever had the vision for starting CIV here in Alhambra. For going outside their comfort zone to take risks and to keep taking risks. For giving, going, so forth, so that we could worship here together today. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, to be a faithful pilgrim is to be ready to go, to journey. Now, one of my goals is to go international every year in order to... Uh, offer training to people who don't easily have access to it. I, I don't want to go to the places that are established. I'm going to go to the places where people don't have easy access. So um, I've been able to do that. Well, this year because of, um, you know, uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic, and I'm not really that high on the vaccine list, so I may get mine in March, <laughs> you know, so I'm not able to do that. But an opportunity has come up to do training online for West Africa, Senegal, and Paris for um, West African immigrants. Uh, so I think I'm going to do that. Um, and I bet there's something God could ask you to do too. So be ready. Now, I want to wrap this up quick. Um, just by giving you three soul checks. You know, uh, you should always check your temperature. You should always check your weight. You should check your blood pressure. You should, you know, those are physical checks. But your soul should have checks as well to see if I'm on this journey. So three, quickly, here are three soul checks for you. You've got them in the notes uh, if you're looking at them. One check on my soul, if I'm really in pilgrimage, um, I will handle my sin and failures differently when confronted. I'm just contrasting Saul and David here. When Saul was confronted with his failure, when he was confronted with his sins, he had a tendency to blame it or make excuses for it um, again and again. It was somebody else's fault or we had something else in mind. We meant well, this is what we were trying to do. He wouldn't just say, I failed, forgive me. He wouldn't confess it. When David was confronted with his sin, you know, David liked someone else's wife, and because he was the head of the forces, the armed forces, he had that woman's husband sent into the, the thick of the battle so that he would die by the enemy's sword so he could take his wife. But God wouldn't let him get away with it, and so he sent Nathan to confront him. You are the man. What did David do? He confessed it. 
even more than confessed it, he wrote his confession. You can read the words in Psalm 51. He published his sin. He published his confession, and he published forgiveness. That is so different than people who aren't on pilgrimage. That's why God said, he's a man after my heart. He's not going to hide sin. He's not going to deny failure. He's going to walk in the light with me. Second one, when your enemy is in your control, what do you do? (laughs) You know, people do us wrong. Intentionally, unintentionally, they do us wrong. And it may come around where you have the opportunity to get even and take revenge. Um, Saul, King Saul, in chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, when he had his enemy in his hands, he wanted to slay them as quickly as possible and as thoroughly as possible. When David had his enemy in his hand, he showed mercy. In fact, in one instance, King Saul uh, was trying to kill David because he thought David was trying to take over his throne. And uh, he has an army coming against him. And uh, the Lord has David hiding out in a cave. And um, King Saul goes in there to relieve himself. And David is able to cut a piece of his robe off. Now, his Soldiers wanted David to kill him. He said, the reason he's here in the cave alone, unprotected, is that's the Lord's giving you an opportunity to get even. But David said, no, that isn't. It's God's opportunity to me to show mercy. And so what he does is he cuts a piece of his royal robe off. And later Saul goes down the hill and David comes out to the front of the cave and he holds this piece of material up and he says, Look at your robe, Saul. Here's the missing piece. God put you in my hands, but I let you go free. I'm not your enemy. One of the soul checks is how you and I respond to our enemies when they're in our hands. Third one, how you handle your friends when life becomes complicated. And... I don't think 2021 is going to be less complicated than 2020. Um, So how do you handle your friends? Again, back to Saul. When life gets complicated, Saul uses his friends. Doesn't care for them. He uses them. Um... Do do you use your friends or do you love your friends, care for your friends? Um, Samuel had died. Uh, Samuel's a prophet, got a couple of books named after him. And Saul needed some information that only Samuel would have. So he gets this woman, this witch, to call Samuel back from the grave to even use him after his death. But David, he does something amazing. When life gets really complicated, what he does is affirm his covenants with his friends. No matter how difficult life gets, Jonathan, we're going to be friends. Nothing's going to separate us. We're going to be friends. We're going to look after each other. You have some people like that in your life? Do you have some people that you could be that in their life? You show up. You care. That's a soul check. That's David and Jonathan. All right. Well, um, I do think it's true to say that if there's little obedience, there'll be little establishment. If there's much obedience, there'll be much establishment in the way you and I live in 2021. So my, my takeaway is, first off, I'm going to go to church. <laughs> I'm going to go to church. I don't care what happens in 2021. I'm going to go to church. I want to worship the Lord with people like you. I'm going to show up. Number two, I'm going to read this book. 
I'm going to be reading the Word. I want God to know, this is your book, your Holy Spirit unzips it and illuminates it for me. I'm going to be in this book. I want to be hearing from you. You can count on me. I'm going to be in the book. And then the third one is, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be lifting up my voice to the Lord, praying for you, <clears throat> praying for myself, praising him, worshiping him, honoring him, thank him. I'm going to be lifting my voice. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you. Thank you for not always making it an easy way to come to you and walk with you because you have a mission, a mission of redemption. Lord, for those of us who are stuck in the rut, have mercy, give us wisdom. For those of us, Lord, who are full of narrow escapes and saucy stories, forgive us, Lord. Help us to fall in love again with the gospel story of Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who really want the better country, Lord, may we be a part as we take up and go that way. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, don't fail to show up for church next week because the second startup is Read Like Jesus. Jesus has a unique way of reading the word, and it's in Matthew chapter 5. If you would like to read ahead, and, and uh, spoiler alert, start in at verse 17, and learn to read like Jesus. Now, glad the band's up here. Thank you, Pastor Rick. Let's take some time real quick to reflect on Rick's message. And, you know, maybe one of your next steps is to read one of the books that Rick mentioned. Or uh, if you're one for New Year's resolutions, like, maybe you can think about how this year you can deepen your relationship with God. Or maybe if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you can think about what it takes to, uh, to overcome any obstacles that you are currently thinking through. I encourage you to also fill out the connection card and let us know how we can help you understand what a relationship with Jesus may look like in your life. So let's take some time real quick. sing together. You stood before creation, eternity in your hands. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. for my shame, my sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say, and what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So I'll walk upon. 
one's salvation. Your spirit alive in me. My life to declare your promise. My soul now to stand. So what can I say? heart, oh God, completely to you. So what can I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh stand and sing it out together. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul, Lord, to you surrendered all. to waste our 
release the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church. We pray revive this joining us this week. We'll see you next Sunday. Happy New Year. All right. Good job, guys.